You're listening to Strange by Nature, your guide to the strange, weird, unbelievable, and improbable wonders of the natural world. Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. I am Kirk Mona, and I am joined today by Rachel Ginza and Victoria Thompson. We are all professional naturalists who together have scoured the world for weird and wonderful wonders just to please your mammalian brain's desire for novelty. Isn't that nice? Let's do this. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hey, Kirk, how are you doing? I am fan. Fantastic. How are you, Rachel? I'm doing really great. I'm really excited about this week's episode topic that I have this week. I'm excited, too. <gasps> Ooh. It's going to get a little wavy, but it should be good. Oh, you said wavy? Mm-hmm. Mm, fascinating. Spoiler. Can't wait. Oh, You'll oh. find out. Oh, okay. But I think you're going first this week. So I am going first, so we're, we're going to get into it. You and I, you, me, and Victoria, we've all discussed this before. There are so many fascinating topics out there. There's always more coming in via friends, patrons, people who just know we like weird things, our own little people rabbit hole discoveries. who write discoveries. us at contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. Yeah, that one. Exactly. You've got it, Kirk. Yep. <laughs> and truly, <laughs> while we have our lists uh, that we keep all on our own, that help oh, keep yeah. track of different topic ideas... Even with that list, somehow, almost three years later, I have missed this particular topic. Okay? Oh, okay. I, I, it never made I it on these. my list, which is wild to me. And I was thinking about what I wanted to cover this week. And I think it, part of it came to me because my friend sent me a Tumblr post and I was reading through it. And some of it is some of that particular Tumblr post actually did cover uh, topics that we've covered on the podcast. By the way, if you are not already following us on Tumblr, please do. It's really fun. I have a great time running that Tumblr and I forget to tag things. So enjoy. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> and But it mentioned this particular uh, species. We're going to go with species. Okay. Yeah, species. And I went, huh, how have we not covered that yet? <laughs> so okay. Because it, it just feels so obvious, especially when I covered a little tiny portion of this, little tiny bit You're of this. so mysterious, Rachel. I, thank you. That was the goal. What are you talking about? This. What is your topic? I, I covered a little bit of this, Kirk, way back in episode two. <gasps> two? Episode two. Okay. Uh, you, I don't remember it, episode two. That was years ago. <laughs> that was years ago. It was when I covered the freshwater bryozoan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, 155 episodes later, <laughs> we're diving back in with those weird little zoids. Do you remember what zoids we're are? about bryozoans? Sort of. Uh, a little bit, but you're going to want to refresh the memory of everyone listening. Oh, absolutely. Hence why I have the next little part of my notes say, review time. <laughs> okay. Tell us what zoids are. So a zoid. So they're different than noids. Absolutely. A zoid. Uh, Z-O-O-I-D. Zoid. Yes, I'm mm-hmm. saying this correctly. 
is an individual bryozoan, which has an outer sleeve-like structure and a mass of organs. Okay? Like inside of it, in that sleeve-like structure. The sleeve-like structure, which is called a cystic, has an opening, and it allows the organs to slide to expose little tentacles to filter food. All right? Cool. And these are teeny, teeny, microscopically tiny. Yeah. So that is like a bryozoan uh, zoid. The The zoid, but then the zoids all live... They live as part of a colony. So there's a single animal that is a colony that works as a giant, like a much larger animal, okay? A larger species. Yeah, I think the way that I've often heard it described to people who have some familiar with some familiarity with biology and whatnot is it's very mm-hmm. much like coral. Right. It's very similar. And it's in the same kind of family-ish as coral because this particular uh, species is in the Cnidaria uh, phylum, which can include okay. things like coral and sea anemones. Oh, okay, cool. So it's in the same phylum as coral, but it's the same idea, right? Gotcha. It's a colonial animal making yeah. up this much colonial larger or- organism. Animals. Yep. Well, somehow, even though I've covered freshwater bryozoan, and we now we know what a zoid is, this Tiny, teeny tiny cellular critter, critter that lives as part of a col- colony. How have we not talked about one of the largest colony species that have zoids? How have we not done that? I don't know, Rachel. How haven't we? Well, we're going to. What is it? It's the Portuguese man Rectify. of war. Oh my gosh, yes. How have awesome. we not talked about this, Kurt? I don't know. That's that's true. This is this is crazy. Yeah. Episode one fifty seven. We get to the Portuguese man of war. Tell us all about it. Oh, okay. So oftentimes a Portuguese man of war is thought of as a jellyfish, but they're not. They yeah. are. When I first this learned it, I'm like, oh, it's a jellyfish. It's not. It is a colony, a colonial organism of these zoids and it just happens to live in a marine environment and oh my goodness okay so it's called the portuguese man of war partially because of it has this big float like a flotilla that tends to be near the surface that helps keep it on the top of the ocean and it's like a gas sack basically right that floats pretty much yeah and most of the time, it's found in the Pacific Ocean. Also, when I was doing research, my partner asked, is your goal to make people scared of the ocean? And the answer is no. Yeah, I know. Th- I've, I go to Hawaii sometimes, <laughs> and I know they're found around there, and it gives me pause. <laughs> right? My answer is no. And there's a reason why they should give you uh pause so a little more description so they are this species that has all of these little zoids that are genetically identical but all of but they are fulfilling certain functions they're all genetically identical but their functions are split into four that are very specialized one 
is more specialized in feeding. So they're in capturing prey. Okay. Right. Um, yep. One is feeding. So those are two separate things. One group of zoids, they capture prey. And they are active like capturing predators. Capturing and feeding. They are active predators too. Like they float around and everything, but they're trying to catch fish, which is wild. Wow. One section is how for how feeding. big are the fish they're trying to catch? I think anything that they can catch, truly. Um, I'll I'll get into Jeez. it. Yeah. Okay. Because okay. they get they get pretty big, Kirk. They get very big, yeah. Yeah. So the other two that I want to touch on too is one is they're specialized is floating. So that big balloon section to help keep them propelled and everything um, because they're propelled just by wind and the ocean currents. So they have to be able to float around uh, easily and stay floating. And the other one is reproduction. So all of these little zoids are able to, uh, they are all part of this larger colonial system to, Load around and be able to catch whatever they can. They are look the way you can tell that it is a Portuguese man of war is it has is this sail balloon esque thing that looks very jellyfish like that is generally yeah. like blue or purple and it rises above the waterline up to like six inches. So it hangs out above mm-hmm. the water, which jellyfish won't really do. And then underneath are long strands of tentacles and polyps. And those polyps generally are an average are of about 30 feet. But they have Jeez. <laughs> but they have no, found thank them. You. <laughs> they have found them, Kirk. Oh, you're, they're gonna be bigger, aren't they? Oh god. Uh, they found that they can extend up to a hundred feet. Oh, I don't want to know that, Rachel. <laughs> which is about, <sighs> which is a little less than like twenty. What? What? What would it be like? Twenty Rachels stacked up on top of one another. Yeah, a little less. Um. Oh my God. That's but too many. Luckily, they're totally it. safe to touch and everything, right? Absolutely not. (laughs) No, you don't want to touch those. Uh, Because for a couple of reasons. So all of those tentacles, like I said, they are an active predator. They have this really strong uh, stinging. They have these stinging cells of mattises, this venom that actually like. So within the tentacles, there are these little nematocysts. And they have little capsules in those nematocysts that if you ke- if you brush against them, it shoots out mm-hmm. and delivers venom, which for small fish and crustaceans will kill the fish and crustaceans. But if you, as a person, mayhaps touch one, <laughs> right, you're going to have a painful hundred foot long. Yeah, Ugh. tentacles. You're going to have a How's painful few days. <laughs> it's going to hurt. Few days. Few, Ugh. like three days. And that's... Mm, that's... If 
you only touch like one because oftentimes it oh, creates gosh. like a, a allergic. It can create like an allergic reaction. It's super, super painful. But if you, and it's often, unfortunately for small kids, if you, if it goes around like the trunk of the body at all, um, the venom can actually help start to close airways, which is where it can create a lot oh. of, you know, breathing problems. And if you get stung a lot, it can kill people. Actually, it has. It's very oh. rare, but it their sting, their venom is strong enough to kill people. Stick into the pool. My God. <laughs> Sorry, Kirk. Uh, and really something. I mean, unfortunately, too, like where you find one of the man of war, yeah, you're gonna find more. Because they all just get blown the, into the same area. Generally speaking, sometimes they can be found in groups of like a thousand man o' wars or more. Just floating in the ocean. A thousand? A thousand. Rachel, don't tell me that. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh my god, a thousand. Yeah, a thousand. And like that is a flotilla. Mostly, is oh my that god. That is a flotilla. Also, they're mostly see-through, like they're purpley blue for the most part, but you know, the yeah, ocean yeah. is also kind of blue. So they're purpley really blue. hard to see in the ocean yeah. as you're swimming around. Do not like this. I don't like this, Rachel. Yeah. I mean, I never said uh, you were going to like it, Kirk. I just said that it was really fair, fascinating fair. and fun. <laughs> It is fascinating. Yeah, there. I I know. You know, I knew. I know a little bit about them. And every time I read more about them, I'm just like, what is oh. this thing that, you know, you just assume it's a jellyfish, and you're like, but it's not. It's this other yeah. thing, and it can like kill you, and it like has these tentacle things, and it's just like, and they're yeah. so weird, and they're so cool. It's so wild. And like that balloon Nature that finds floats the it absolutely does. That balloon that float that allows them to float around, that's filled with carbon monoxide yeah. and just regular air. Carbon monoxide? Monoxide. There it is. Just okay. silence of a, of just like why not? Sure. And like they I'm can, full of the silent but deadly killer. Pretty much. Well, yeah. And they can deflate it uh, in order to, else, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> and to, they can deflate it in order to like protect themselves from any sort of predator. But for the most part, because they're floating along with this sail, they can float and be dragged around for thousands of miles trying to catch <sighs> whatever they can and eat. <laughs> it's, Yikes. Just wild. Um, something. Yeah. And I said that they were uh, mostly found in the Pacific, but truly yeah. they can be found pretty much in all of the world's oceans, mostly the tropical, subtropical oceans, but sometimes they can be right. found in the temperate regions as well. So that's fun. <sighs> it's a good time. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to uh, talk about this absolutely wild creature that somehow we hadn't, like... Didn't get around to. Didn't get around to. 157 episodes in, we're still, like, 
we're still finding things like There's how so have we not talk, talk about. about it? There's always so many things to talk about. It's absolutely well, Rachel, let's, wild. Let's take but, a short break. Go for a swim. Yeah. And okay. When we come back. All right. I, I, I got something else. Good. Excellent. Because uh, I'll follow you into the water, Kirk. You're going first. I'm not going. Well, in. we've got a bit of a theme this week, Rachel. You're about to find out. Oh, See you in man. a minute. You know, as podcasters, we like to listen to podcasts too. And I want to tell you about one this week called Tiny Matters. It's a science podcast about things small in size, a molecule, microscopic organisms, or maybe an ancient gene that all have a big impact on our world. Tiny Matters is produced by the American Chemical Society and hosted by former scientists Sam Jones and Deboki Chakravarti, who chat with experts to track down answers to questions like, how does our brain form memories? Is sugar actually addictive? And are we alone in the universe? And Sam and Deboki know that science doesn't operate in a vacuum. So every Tiny Matters episode is packed with history, as well as societal relevance and impact. A new episode of Tiny Matters drops every other Wednesday. Find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everybody, we're back. Uh, Rachel, you're going to see what the uh, the, the thread theme? is between these. Uh, when I was 14 years old, I had the opportunity okay. to go on a fabulous journey. Our family, it was a family trip. Our family flew to Norway to visit relatives. And that was just magical. Uh, we got to go out on the ocean and go on like a whale safari, like looking at whales and stuff. Like it was, it was a very, very cool experience. Once that was over, we uh, headed by train to Denmark. Mm-hmm. From there, um, we got on another train that then actually drove straight onto a boat, which I remember thinking was pretty cool. That like the train just goes onto the boat, and mm-hmm. then they kind of park all the cars side by side in this boat, and the boat becomes a ferry. And so this boat was going to take us through the North Sea uh, to England. And what should have been a pretty standard and uneventful crossing turned out to be one of the most memorable events of my young life. Okay. So as we headed out of harbor, we noticed the seas were a little rough. And as the overnight trip continued, things just got worse and worse. The ship began to rhythmically rock up and down each wave, and the waves got bigger and bigger as the night wore on. There was a restaurant on this boat that we went to or this you know ship right and uh at one point the waves were so bad that um food was flying off tables right uh you know waiters were trying to carry trays to the restaurant and they were like you'd hit a wave and food would go flying off their trays and they had to like basically stop serving food because they were spilling it all on the floor that sounds Uh, like the worst day to be in waitstaff i'm not gonna lie (laughs) yeah it got pretty bad um we actually were pretty, my parents were pretty savvy and they had actually booked like a sleeping like room because they had, since they had like kids with them and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but you really couldn't sleep because you'd just be thrown from the bed. Uh, they That's made an announcement that hammocks. they were placing, yeah, they were placing literal bowls of Dramamine packets all around the ship. And they said, everybody, please take some of this Dramamine. You're going to want it. Um, passengers started to throw up. Oh, yeah. Around the ship from seasickness. Uh-huh. And as a 14-year-old child, uh, 
I got to say, I was pretty unaware of the danger. My brother and I, my brother is about a year and a half older than I am. Mm -hmm. uh, we thought this was like some kind of hilarious ride. These, these waves were getting very, very large. And we found this relatively abandoned hallway toward the front of the ship, uh, kind of lower down. And we found that as we felt the ship tilting toward the sky, we would start sprinting down the hallway. And what, just as the ship crested the wave, we would time it so that we would jump forward right as the ship began to fall. And as we leapt into the air, we would have this like seemingly gravity-free free fall. And uh -huh. we found that we could achieve near Olympic level long jump records down the hallway. Because <laughs> you just you'd like someone picked you up and threw you down the hallway where you uh -huh. were weightless for the entire time the ship was falling. And uh and then that you sounds would, like you know, the land. best time. It was it was we were laughing. It was hilarious. The fun of it was only slightly tempered uh, when the ship would heavily crash back into the water at, at the bottom of the wave. And likewise, our bodies would crash into the deck of the ship, seem to now weigh twice as much as they did before. We'd skin our knees up, but it was fun for a little while. Uh, yeah. And when we tired of that, we went we went uh, to the outside hallway of the ship, and we were maybe like five stories up or so. And we would watch as the waves were breaking above the tops of the windows. Oh. So as the boat was cutting through the waves, you would literally be having like a a cross-sectional view of the wave, like going past the side of the ship because that's how they were like, you know, literally like five stories up. Uh, it, it was, it was a heck of a oh, night. Oh um, yeah. My brother and I thought it was thrilling. My right. parents <laughs> worried we would end up dead at the bottom of the North Sea. Um, they later uh -huh. shared with me that uh, they overheard the crew talking to each other. something that they weren't supposed to hear. And uh -huh. the crew was like, they saying that they had never should have let the boat out of Harbor. Because the storm was so bad. Oh, oh no. Uh, turns out this storm was so bad, the ship was running full speed all night, <gasps> and we only made two miles of progress on what? our trip. Uh, so when we finally, the storm started to pass a bit, we were able to get through it. We still had the whole overnight trip to do, but now it was daytime. There was no food on the ship because they had it served had it all or dropped all it on over the floor. The floor. Oh, yeah, so it was, um, you know, their base is trying to stop God. the ship from being blown backwards off course and being scuttled by the waves. So there was, the North Sea is no joke, right? No. So that's my, my personal experience, uh -huh. uh, that waves are no joke. And bad storms can create waves that can overwhelm a ship. Of where you live on Lake Superior, there's the oh, most yeah. famous you know, ship of all is uh, the Edmund, Edmund Fitzgerald, Fitzgerald. And the whole story. Yeah, Gordon Lightfoot's got his whole song about that. Um, so like we play it you at know, least once a week. Ships yeah. do <laughs> once a week. Wow, it's part of a class. Ships do, uh, you know, go down in storms. Mm -hmm. So, um, those who work the seas, right, have long told of something scarier than just the repeated pounding of waves of a storm. Mariners have long held stories about giant rogue waves that come out of nowhere and just swallow ships whole. And many thought that these were mere oh. legends like the Kraken or mermaids or uh -huh. sirens. Um, but for many people, uh, that sort of changed on Christmas Eve 1995. Oh, no. So there was a storm uh, in the North Sea with hurricane force winds. Uh, 1995, this, was, this would not have been when I was 14. Um, I was alive. Stuff. We're good. And 
<laughs> this was uh, there were people who were on the Dropner oil rig, uh, and they had a uh, they had like a la- like a laser pointed down from the top of the rig at the waves, and it would automatically record wave heights. The waves during this storm were twelve meters high, so that's over thirty nine feet in freedom units, or seven point four Rachel's. Okay, these are what? these are pretty big waves. Yeah. Um, now that's everyone was safe Rachel's. inside the rig building. Um, but they were had kind of battened down the hatches, riding out what's essentially a hurricane. Um, but at 3.20 p.m., something extraordinary happened, although no one saw it. Lasers that were, po- those lasers that were pointing down at the waves, mm-hmm. they can record wave heights to within an inch. And they rec- recorded a lone wave with a height of 25.6 meters. What? That's 84 feet. <gasps> and... You know, it had a peak elevation then of 18.5 meters or 61 feet. This, and I will say this wasn't the first scientific measurement of a rogue wave. There had been a recording of a smaller one back in 1984, but this was the first like enormous one recorded. And it's the one that really got the science world's attention where they're just like, what, what, why was there this one wave? Like what happened? Uh So I got to back up a little bit. A rogue, what is called a rogue wave is defined scientifically as a wave whose height is more than twice what's called the current significant wave height. What that is gets a little technical, but basically the layman's definition is to think of it as being a wave that is about twice as high as the normal height of the waves at that time. Okay. And some of them obviously can be much more than twice the height. And looking back through history, there's definitely been evidence, although not direct measurements, of rogue, uh, wa- rogue waves that are mm-hmm. as tall as 30 meters. Uh, <laughs> these were surmised by things like damage to lighthouses. There's some lighthouses that got damaged and like the whole crew had been wiped away and there was oh, damage my. on the lighthouse up 30 meters above, <gasps> you know the wave height and they're going, how could something this big have come by? No, the waves can't get up 30 meters on a lighthouse, but they had. So they're like, okay. (laughs) Um, You know, and so it is really (laughs) Uh something. Um, You know, also the, um, the RSS discovery, uh, which is a ship that was sailing through the Rockall trough uh, west of Scotland in the year 2000. Uh, that is a ship that encountered the largest waves that have ever been recorded by any scientific instruments. And it terrifies me that these recorded not by like an oil platform, but by a boat that was in the waves. Oh, God. This boat recorded <laughs> waves that were pretty much close to 30 meters tall, like they had said, with the, the ones that they had surmised. Um, they recorded individual waves up to 29.1 meters, which... If you're not great with metric system, that's 95 foot high waves. That is terrifyingly tall. Like no. a 95 foot tall wave. And you, you know, this these often happen in, in bad weather, right? So like the uh-huh. waves are already bad. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, these these 12 meter waves are really something. And all of a sudden here comes a 95 foot, foot wave, oh, yeah, 30 meters. And I, they think that this is probably uh, responsible for a lot of um, 
uh, ships that have been swamped and, and never heard from again. We we're like, yeah, something happened. What happened? Did it, it was just a regular series of smaller waves? And they, no, if they get hit by a rogue wave, ships are not built to survive this. No. You know? So if you get hit by one of them, you get hit by a 95 foot wave. Like I, if I even saw that coming, like tsunamis, like this isn't even a tsunami. That's what's getting me is this is not even like. A, yeah. Like, so these can sometimes be confused with tsunamis. So tsunamis, I think when I was a kid, um, I pictured a tsunami as being this giant wave that, mm-hmm. you know, like, like that giant 95 foot wave coming in and crashing on the shore. Right. Um, there's like that really famous um, Japanese woodcut of the big wave as well. You know what I'm talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah. Like blue and white. Yeah. Um, it's, it's thought that actually that is probably representing a rogue wave instead okay. of a tsunami. Um, so, you know, if you actually, now that we live in the age yeah, now that we live in the age of like video, I, I remember when there's been some of these big tsunamis lately that have been recorded and you watch it and you go, oh, that's what a tsunami is? Like, mm-hmm. it's basically like the ocean just starts to rise and it just keeps rising, like a flood that comes in them. It's not really like one big giant wave that just comes in and crashes, mm-hmm. you know, hundreds of feet in. It's just the, the an inundation of water that just comes out of the ocean. Um, and rogue waves... They've been trying to study them to figure out, well, what's causing them? Is it like a tsunami where like an earthquake causes this? And it's it's not. They, they are still being studied. There's okay. many different theories on why and how they form. Mm-hmm. Like in layman's terms, though, like the most basic idea is that they form when large waves meet at like maybe just the right angle okay. and combine their energy into one large wave. So okay. imagine like two you know, uh, large waves coming right at a, like 90 degree angle and the peaks hit each other at the exact same time. And it's and sort of whoosh, whoosh. like, wow, yeah. I smacked the microphone. Shoo, goes shooting up <laughs> into this big wave, which could be almost more like maybe a, a pyramid like wave that appears and then sinks back down rather than like a rolling wave that, you know, mm-hmm. is going for long distances at, at that way, at that height. But so it could be sort of just terrifying. Yeah, it, so it's, it's fascinating. Um, these have actually, you know, they used to be myth and legend, and now they've been verified. And people have actually now used satellites mm-hmm. to look for rogue waves in data and have confirmed that they're way more common than we used to think. Uh, they have been oh, found I hate that. In, in every ocean um, and have been shown to occur pretty much every day somewhere on Earth. There are these rogue waves. I hate often that. associated <laughs> with storms, but weirdly not always associated with storms. So just absolutely bizarre. Uh, scientists are studying these strange phenomena now that we kind of know what to look like. And we really want to understand them more because it could be the key to keeping both people and property safe. Right. Right. So super cool rogue waves. Uh, I guess check them out, but don't check them out that closely. I, I never want to be check that, them out close that close to a rogue closely. wave. Please don't. <laughs> No, no. Like I know that 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 oil rig I mentioned uh, Mm -hmm. at the beginning did actually suffer some minor damage. I think they were only rated to waves like 20 meters tall. And this was like, you know, a little bit above that. So uh, pretty, pretty nuts. Rogue waves. That's what I got for you. It's fun that we both had something from the ocean to make terrified of of the seas, Rachel. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My sources this week. Uh, We're primarily uh, the future of things. Uh, NOAA and Wikipedia. Oh. Thanks, Kirk. Super cool. You're welcome. 
Uh, we're just going to scare our listeners, everybody. Everybody get out, <laughs> grab your surfboard. Have fun. Surf's up. You know, get out there. And uh, wow, right, we'll see everybody next everyone. week. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's show. Be sure to subscribe. New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com. Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.